all listeners, welcome back. Episode 14, I believe. Is that right, lads? 15, maybe? 15. I think it's 15. Um, we are finally going to come back to our roots. We've been beating around the bush for too long. We are going to talk crypto, in fact. Um, and we're going to try to make this episode as um, descriptive, but also introductory and informative as possible. We haven't prepared at all for this. So if this is useless, <laughs> we apologize in advance. <laughs> We've kind of um, prepared for it. I mean, we're, we want, we're going to talk about that article. Right? Yeah, 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 whole yeah. Piece. yeah. I, I, I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. I haven't read that piece, though. I just published it. So, we'll, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, so luck favors a prepared mind. And you did a lot of prep here. So I feel like I'm yeah. feeling lucky. Yes, yes. Well, we've already talk, been talking about Louis Pasteur, and it's only 90 seconds in, so I think it's, it's all offside from here. It's up only. Um, but yeah, we're going we're gonna to introduce crypto. Uh, we're going to talk about what it is, why it matters, um, how to think about some of these tokens, um, why the sort of model for monetization and raising capital is different, um, and some ways to think about the different types of tokens um, out on the market. Um, I did, in fact, write a piece that's uh, called The Taxonomy of Tokens on my blog. And I do kind of, I think that's like a, an interesting way of looking at these things because they all sort, sort of are living entities out here in the ether. Um, and they do behave differently. Um, a, a token sitting on a protocol uh, native to that protocol will behave differently than another token. And we're going to dive into some of that type of, of stuff today. Um, and whether you're, you know, fairly fluent in crypto language, or if this is the first time you've heard the word crypto, we hope it is equally useful for, for both of those listeners. So um, what do you, what do you lads, how do you lads want to take this? Uh, I think we could go down the, the taxon route. Um, so I think one of the things people hear uh, when they think about cryptocurrencies is it's like just a currency that exists on the internet. And so like, what's the point if they, you know, USD and other fiat currencies already exist. Um, and there are some currencies that are just for payments. Um, and so that kind of mental model makes sense, but there's also a lot of these currencies. Um, so maybe that, that don't function just for payments. Um, I think you kind of get into that in the taxon. So maybe we could add some clarity there and go on, go over the different types of uh, tokens that you've identified in the paper. I think, I think that's, a, that's a really good place to start. Um, like this whole industry has, has this umbrella term cryptocurrency, right? But like Chris was saying, a lot of these tokens, they don't behave as currencies at all. And so recognizing that they're not necessarily purely for the transfer of value from one party to the other, while they can transfer value, uh, their core use can often be something um, entirely different. Um, so I don't know, Hake, you want to introduce like the first type of token or, I yeah. mean, I don't know if you've had time to dig into the article. I'm, I'm happy to as well. No, I did. And I actually made, I started making a little TikTok series about the article. Hell yeah, dude. Um, <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. It'll, I'm sure it'll have more than the six views. Of the but article dude, TikTok's. Has. I don't know if you guys knew this, but TikTok's like shadow banning crypto content now. So oh, I saw that. Right I mean, as I was that makes sense. Off. You're getting fucking strong armed by the CCP. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is something like when I first got into crypto that was confusing to me. Is I was like, how, why does every 
like app and every like every protocol why does it have a token and i mean that's still a good question because a lot of them don't need a token but um yeah i was like i was it was so confused by it because all i knew was like bitcoin and, and ether but yeah the first one that you have here are work slash utility tokens um so essentially it's the token that you need to to spend or bond to use a protocol so kind of i think the good examples you have here are ETH, Sol, uh, Helium, Chainlink, and Arweave. So essentially, like if anyone who's used a DeFi protocol or really like anything on Ethereum, you have to you have to spend Ether to do the transaction to get it. Um, well, yeah, to, right now it's basically to get it put into the block by the miners. You have to pay them this fee. So. Um, yeah, it's pretty straightforward, and and I like. I, let me see exactly how you said it, but uh, yeah, it's particular, particularly robust. Um, and for an investor uh, looking for a high beta with adoption slash usage, a work or utility token is ideal. So it's kind of like, I don't know, it, it's something that's kind of like one of the lower risk investments you can make. Like if you're looking at. If like if you're if you're looking to invest in like Ethereum DeFi, investing in Ether is like one of the most like kind of everything has to use Ether. So it's a, it's a pretty sure bet if you're betting on like that ecosystem as a whole. Right. Um, and yeah. Maybe we should explain why you have to spend Ether. Um, maybe that would also make explain. sense. Explain. So you have this network and in the network there's these miners that are all basically using their compute power to uh, progress the state of the blockchain. And so that's not free. Um, so why would these miners like do all this work for the network? It's because they get paid in Ethereum. Um, and so uh, Ethereum is like, and you kind of talk about this in the paper, it's, it's, you can think of it as like the oil of the network, like to keep the machine moving uh, ether has to be paid. Um, and then, so it's this way of incentivizing uh, the miners to actually do the compute and the storage you need for the network to run. So it's uh, like without ether, no, none of the miners would be running uh, would be running right. the, the code for the network, right? So it's, it's there, it, like you, you need it for any of this to even be a thing, right? Right. Yeah, you can think about you can think about um, Ethereum broadly as um, an ecosystem, but also an engine. Um, it's an engine that helps settle transactions um, over the internet. Um, and in order to use that engine, you need to supply it with gas. You can also think about that as like a tax uh, on the GDP of the Ethereum economy. But either way, in order to interact with this economy or this engine or whatever metaphor you want to use, you simply must. Spend ether and so as a token that sort of model is particularly robust um, because if you have a hunch that the adoption of this economy or this ecosystem is going to grow um, the value of ether can't possibly not grow with it or I mean, it could but it's extremely extremely unlikely and so that's the idea of a work or utility token a type of token that simply must be spent um, or bonded to either provide work or to consume work of a given network. Yeah, so you could like, you could, you know, in another world, maybe they're called crypto commodities, right? Like they are the raw input into this bigger 
more complex like economic system. Um, and right. so this is like it, it, it. This happens a lot where the name of some technology is very anchored to like the first instantiation, and then the functions and the nature of the technology drifts, and the name doesn't change. So someone called it cryptocurrency, and we're we're stuck with that. But it's not just pure like it's not purely a currency. Some people call them crypto assets. Um, yeah, like you can. You uh, and, and then that's why people always use a lot of analogies to try to explain crypto because they're trying to like provide you a mental model besides just the, like a currency mental model for how these things work. Um, so, and the side. Uh, yeah, this I, I just thought I'd bring this up. Uh, there's this uh, there's this project that I was looking to, into yesterday that would fall under this um, fall under this category too which is the boring protocol. You guys have probably heard of this. I was talking with Chris about it. Um, but uh, essentially it's like you you use this BOP token um, to, to pay to use this decentralized VPN. Um, and so this is, this is just another example, but I thought it was like relevant because it's a pretty new project and I'm, I'm excited about it as someone who uses VPNs a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, another interesting thing about work tokens or utility tokens, a uh, common pattern is uh, you'll have some really complicated type of computation that you want a network of computers or nodes to run. Um, and uh, you actually don't want that happening on the blockchain because it's just like blockchains aren't very fast and they can't do a lot of work um, just because of how they're like how the consensus algorithms work. So what you'll do is you'll create a token on the core blockchain, and then you'll you'll force you'll force nodes on this network to basically stake or bond the token, uh, like you kind of mentioned. So LivePeer, basically they are running this giant network of transcoding videos um, across the like across the web to do web streaming, um, and so you want a way to bring a bunch of these like transcoders together in a way that you trust that they're running the right code. And so how you do that, you say, okay, if you want to do this transcoding, go buy the live peer token, put it up in essentially escrow. And if you deviate from how we've written the code and what's expected from you, you lose your stake, right? You lose your bond, you get your escrow taken away. And so you can use these tokens to incentivize uh, codes run in a certain way off chain. Audius also does this, like Audius, to Audius is a music streaming app. Um, and if you're doing music streaming, you know, you need a way to like find all the songs that are in the catalog. Uh, you have to index all those songs. And that's like very computationally and like uh, storage is uh, intensive. And so they don't do that on the blockchain, but they have the Audius token, which then indexers off chain have to stake to actually uh, perform that functionality. And so these tokens are like assets that like if you can you can buy and then we can use those to incentivize um, a network to perform the way we want to, um, which is like a really is interesting this similar to link model. This is exactly like this is exactly link like the two. Um, I think this right here um, at risk of being reductive synthesizes the core value proposition of all of crypto, which is twofold. I think one is how do you bring value to a network? How do you solve the chicken and egg problem? 
Well, the first thing you do is you effectively subsidize individuals to supply work to the network. And the way you can do that is you can print and deliver them tokens. They bring work to the network. Okay, fine. But the token is valueless. If you subsidize that work coming to the network by issuing tokens, then you hope that individuals come and they demand the work of that network, right? So we're talking about live peer. You have this decentralized web of individuals that transcode video. It's basically just saying you're taking the quality of the video in this form and you're synthesizing it into a universal form that anyone demanding that video can consume. That's an expensive thing to do. So the way you subsidize those transcoders is you give them some LPT token, right? So now you have all this transcoded video and you hope people demand that video. And in order to consume that video, what do you need? You need LPT. So LPT asks the work token because if you want to transcode or do you want to consume transcoded video, you need the LPT. So this sort of bootstraps a network. It solves the chicken and the egg problem. The second thing Chris alluded to, which I think um, is the other tenet of the fundamental crypto value thesis is the idea of, um, of putting skin in the game, of bonding a token. The token sits in escrow. And then if you act in good faith, you get that token back, you get to provide to the network, you get to demand to the network, and you protect your future earning power as a node. But if you don't act in good faith, everyone can see, everyone on the network can see that you didn't act in good faith, that you didn't provide good work to that network, or you lied, or you tried to double spend, whatever. Everyone sees that, and then you get penalized. That, that value you bonded in the network gets pulled from you, which is a really, really, really powerful um, primitive, right? It is a next level way of encoding incentives such that like an insanely broad amount of people um, can cooperate on, on, on blockchain. So I think that's really, really, really important. And the work token, uh, I think nicely elucidates that, that value problem. Yeah, in some ways, it's like a uh, evolution of like reputation systems on the mm -hmm. internet, which have already mm -hmm. been so important. Um, like the way you use Yelp and, or, you know, Uber, et cetera. Like we rely on these rating systems so much. Um, and this is like uh, baking that in with money, um, which uh, is pretty interesting. Uh, should we um, hop to the next token type? I can't even remember what it is. Work first and then what? Platform maybe? Platform. Which honestly, um, I, di I didn't fully. This one would be helpful if you could explain it because I didn't fully, um, I didn't fully understand this one. I mean, I think the idea of a platform. Um, so um, you know, we have these layer ones, which are basically um, uh, these sort of basic. Well, they're not basic, but um, they're blockchains that underpin applications. So you have like Ethereum, you have Solana. These are sets of rules uh, that allow people to settle transactions and send value down here at the bottom level. Then people build decentralized applications on top of these um, layer one protocols um, that do sort of more specialized things that internet users might wanna do. And so an example is, um, let's say maybe Decentraland. So Decentraland is a decentralized application that's built on the um, Ethereum layer one blockchain. Decentraland is um, sort of a, you know, it's a, it's a video game, it's a metaverse, um, 
you know, it's virtual reality, you can call it whatever you like. And it has a native token. The native token is called MANA. But what's interesting is um, Decentraland was built on top of Ethereum uh, because it wanted uh, this fundamental piece of value that Ethereum had to give to it, which is security. Uh, Ethereum is a decentralized network that is secured by a really, really wide array of nodes. And that's valuable. It's valuable to have that sort of decentralization. You want to inherit that security. So these apps will build on top of Ethereum for the purpose of inheriting its security. Now, interestingly, a platform token to me is just a token that's built upon another base layer. Um, and it's a token that you don't necessarily need to interact with that application, right? Unlike a work token, unlike Link, um, LPT, Ethereum, you don't need mana necessarily to interact with the ecosystem. You, can, you may be able to use ETH as a currency within the decentralized ecosystem. The idea of a platform token is simply, it is the native token of an application built upon a different base layer, built upon a different layer one. Okay, and then and then it that that makes sense. So it's just kind of it's kind of the ones that like they they provide some use, hopefully, but they're but they're not necessarily like a governance or like a like a cash flow producing token. It's just something that you like use on an application, basically. So like I mean, die. Would be a, I think Dai is a good example because it's like yeah, yeah, Dai is not the governance token for MakerDAO, you and you can use MakerDAO like by providing ETH, like you don't need Dai, right? But it's like it's something that's useful like elsewhere, um, so that makes sense. Right. I mean, I think I think like you know, if I were to do it again, I would have probably left this out. I think it's sort of confusing. I think it's basically just the idea that there are uh, tokens and networks that are built on top of other networks, right? And because they do that because they wanna inherit, inherit the inherent security of that network. People really like that about Ethereum, right? It's decentralized, it has good security. I wanna build on top of Ethereum because I want that security. I think that's just, I don't know, that's the, just the kind of idea there. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. Um, the next one is governance tokens. Which has been some interesting stuff with lately, right? With the with the uni stuff, right? You mean you guys sushi? see that? And well, and sushi, but the uni thing, I guess it wasn't that recently, but I just have heard people talking about it recently, where they uh, they had that governance vote, <clears throat> and they're like they set this like lobbying fund, like twenty million uh, lobbying fund aside, and they said, oh, like, yeah. oh we're gonna we're gonna yeah. sell tokens like over four years and then they just like immediately sold half of them yeah. <laughs> like 10 million dollars worth like how are you gonna put how are you just gonna not put any lock up there and just take it on faith that they're gonna gonna hold yeah i mean i, I heard kobe talking about an up only and i thought it was funny because like 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 there's no way to to like guarantee how they spend this money you know like you kind of just have to like oh i guess we voted on it and like we trust that they're gonna do something with it, but Kobe was saying like he wants to apply for the job, yeah, <laughs> to manage the fund and shit. Um, I mean, the, that's the thing about a grant, though, right? It comes with no conditions. Yeah, like if you don't um, want it, if you don't want people to do whatever they want with the funds, then it shouldn't be structured as a grant. Yeah, that like well, let well let's let's do, let's uh, define governance. But basically, basically, a governance token is 
um, it, it gives you the right to like vote on proposals more or less, right? Right. Uh, for for the protocol. So like, right. like we're talking about Uniswap, I'm sure most people listening know what Uniswap is. If they don't, it's it's a decentralized exchange where you can trade on the block on Ethereum like on the blockchain, and the Uni governance token, which is like in the top ten by market cap right now, it basically allows you to vote for proposals for for changes to the underlying to to the app, uh, basically. Yeah, there's there's an interesting thing about governance is that there are like governance can be built into the code um, such that if a vote goes through, a parameter of the protocol is tweaked or changed such that from that block onward, the protocol behaves differently because that parameter's changed. And then they can also vote on things that are off chain, right? So when you're just talking about the Uniswap, they said they do, they liquidate their, or they'd sell over four years and they sold it right in the beginning. That wasn't on chain, right? So people voted like give these people money and then it went back to like uh, you know wetware and people just did whatever they wanted versus uh, some governance like compounds governance I mean they can they can like vote on how to change the interest rates or like add new assets to the protocol and then you can go inspect the code and see exactly what's going to run and it's like deterministic um, and so uh, when people talk about governance it's kind of interesting because it's, it's really both it's um, I mean, the voting on how the code change is much more narrow and for a lot of applications, it doesn't make sense. Um, and then there's just like bigger piece where you're like voting on how essentially this fund like allocates its resources. Yeah. Um, which is a lot more ambiguous. Uh, I think that's worth calling out. I think a great example, like to, to bridge these two, uh, to bridge platform tokens and governance tokens is uh, discussing briefly uh, the Maker protocol. So Maker sort of like Compound uh, was a, a very, very early protocol to start building uh, on Ethereum. Uh, Maker has now like fully decentralized. They've given, um, they've given the protocol to the community, so to speak. Um, but Maker is effectively like a, an on-chain bank. Um, it, it allows individuals to trustlessly borrow and lend money. Um, Maker also importantly, like Hake mentioned, um, they um, the part of the role of Maker is to support the stablecoin on-chain called Dai. Um, a stablecoin is just uh, a piece of digital value that is tied um, to some other asset. So, for example. Most stable coins are tied to the US dollar. So the idea is to make sure that as the dollar fluctuates in value, these on-chain instantiations of that dollar maintain that peg, which is a tricky thing to do. Um, like what central banks will do is in order to govern the value of their currency, they'll buy other foreign currencies and they'll sell and buy them in order to maintain that peg that they desire. So interestingly, Maker has sort of two tokens native to the ecosystem. One is the Maker token, that's the governance token. And the other is DAI, right? Which is this platform token. There's a stable coin that maker holders try to govern. And so for example, um, you know, Chris was talking about how some of these governance tokens allow individuals to make decisions about what assets are brought into the protocol, right? Which assets are too risky, which assets are perfect, perfect additions. 
And something recently that Maker's been voting on is how do we make the asset base that backs this die peg more robust, right? Because if the peg is backed by a single asset um, and that asset draws down for whatever reason or loses a lot of value overnight, which we've seen happen in crypto, like ETH and Bitcoin have dropped 10, 20% in a matter of days. So if DAI is backed by this like, crazy breadth of assets, it's less likely that all of those assets are gonna draw down in concert and break that peg. And so something that the, the collective community of maker holders have voted on recently is to bring real world assets into the collateral base that backs that peg, which is really interesting, right? You're bringing mortgage loans maybe into the maker treasury. And so if all these crypto assets maybe lose all their value, which threatens that peg, maybe these mortgages that we're now bringing on chain aren't so um, elastic, right? And they help maintain that peg. And the maker holders, they're voting on that collateral that's supposed to back that peg, which is a really interesting interplay between the governance token um, and the platform token, to me, at least. That is, yeah. Um, how do you guys, so governance token, uni's worth like billions of dollars. Um, how do you think that plays in with like cash flows and making money back? Like does a governance token make sense if you're not, there's no entitlement to cash flows later? Like, is there, is there a world where uni, uni's value stays this high unless they start, they become a security and start dishing, uh, money back or it's a good fucking question um or i guess so ftt token i was looking at it like they give lower fees if you hold the ftt token so maybe if you hold a they, uni swap don't they token, do a don't they do a uh buy and burn back yeah they do buy and burn and you get lower fees if you, if you hold the ftt token so it's the same fucking thing dude that's, that's what i struggle with like those are de facto cash flows right yeah. Uh, yeah, but it, I mean, so I guess for our listeners, so if, there's a security, yeah. there's a securities law where you can't, you can't pay, <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't pay people cash flows, and otherwise, this is allegedly cash flows. <laughs> yeah, allegedly <laughs> cash flows. Okay, actually, cash funny flows. on Twitter last night, uh, someone's I was like, oh, law and technology co-evolved, and like, when does law affect? The, like technology. Well, this is actually a really good example is the securities uh, law of like 1934 says if you pay out cash flows, you're a security, and then you have to do all this. Uh, you have to do all this uh, like regulatory um, registration, and there's a lot of costs that come with it. So a lot of projects will basically like they'll get around the cash flows. They won't pay you cash flow. They'll burn the supply of the token, so the price of the token goes up, or they'll like FTT is giving you a rebate. Right, um, on your fees and so they're like according to the letter of the law you're not paying cash flows right so they're not a security <laughs> um i or i don't know i assume this is why they're doing it and so I they just right. they did it's like an inverse cash flow <laughs> or something <laughs> yeah. like that um, yeah because like it's like if they like with sushi let's say if they just like took the fees and then it was like this basket of assets and then they like literally just airdrop these assets like every day to sushi holders that would be a cash flow right well whereas well, yeah, the sorry, buy and burn back is not no well i was just gonna say like 
so sushi is like we'll, we'll get to this point like we've done we've now done um work token platform token governance token and when the next token. <laughs> when, token, when token and the next oh, geez, my <laughs> hand just spazzed out um next is uh security right which is sort of what we're talking about now and then we end with social is that right Shig? uh yes Oh, we need transactional too. But anyway, to, to dig into the security thing, right? Like what, what, what Chris was effectively saying is there are all these tokens that are delivering value back to the holders. But often the, the protocol has abstracted what that value looks like to avoid appearing explicitly like cash flows are flowing to the token holders. And that's problematic because um, when cash flows flow to token holders, I mean, it's a little bit more complicated. We'll get into this when we get to security tokens, but those cash flows probably make that token a security. And when it's a security, then it gets regulated by the SEC. And when it gets regulated by the SEC, that's at least a sensibly very, very bad news. I mean, I think there's some debate there too, but that's that's kind of the idea. Hey, you brought up Sushi. Sushi is actually an example of, I mean, the, the fees generated on that protocol are currently being delivered to Sushi holders. It's one of the few examples where cash flows are explicitly flowing to the token. And so- Wait, is it not, do they don't do the buy and burn? I thought that's what they did. Maybe you're right. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that I'm wrong right. though. I don't- No, no, no. Because like, they, like, right. they don't just airdrop you. Because like with like a DEX, right? You pay the fee in whatever asset you're, like you pay fees like into the liquidity pool of whatever you're trading. And so I'm pretty sure as a sushi holder, you're not getting like, all these random coins like airdrop to the wallet with the sushi right i mean don't you just it wouldn't wouldn't they just pay out the fees in sushi are you are you saying you're saying do they do that? i don't know because don't i've know. held sushi and i've never noticed it like like slowly tick up but maybe it just wasn't enough i don't know uh well i think you have to explicitly claim your your fees all right I don't, um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how, but 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 the idea is is um, of these security tokens is uh, like Chris said, there was a Howey test, which the Howey test was um, was the result of this sort of lawsuit in the '30s um, in an orange grove in Florida, I believe, and this orange grove like sold interests that were represented by a contract to other individuals, which basically gave them rights to some amount of the orange that was oranges that were harvested on that on that land. And so the idea was, is this should this be regulated as a security? And so security basically a security now is determined by the Howey test, um, a contract or an agreement that re represents an interest and in a common enterprise with the assumption that profits will result from the effort of others. So as fucking ridiculous as that shit is, born out of an orange grove, now we're supposed to apply that to the world of digital value. <laughs> yeah. As an aside, I, I'm, the internet seems like it broke the SEC, honestly. <laughs> like, it's been, it's, I, I could be, wrong here but like the sec was motivated motivated by like the great depression and like financial speculation and they're like we're going to set all these standards for how you list securities and how things are bought and sold 
and you know we're gonna just almost like like de-risk it in a lot of sense right like so that people can't get ripped off and now like 2021 like everyone's just essentially a degen like trader you know and the sec is not stopping it at all like people on tiktok are like it only goes up like you just have to buy all these stocks like they're not stopping people from like being degenerate traders and like potentially getting ripped off right um and that's in like normal equities it's not just crypto that's the thing like it it seems uh, it seems like uh and they don't have the resources i guess to like deal with all this long tail like speculation i think that's the thing in the analog world where there's only a few exchanges and a few physical places like the the sec could probably go and be like you're not going to list a company unless they conform to our sec standards and now it's like they just like they can't do that on the internet right like they can't be everywhere at once and lock these things down so and it doesn't seem like they're trying either like elon's tweeting about doge all the time and they'd like just let them like keep keep the mania going right like everyone's like a, a influencer for finance now and then people are like not financial advice <laughs> at the end of their tweet and that's yeah. like why the best is <laughs> the best is cz how he just started saying nfa like yeah. and just assume people knew what it meant <laughs> he didn't even say not financial it's just nfa he's like bnb's in a in a dip at 570 dollars nfa <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny i mean yeah I'll be right back boys. i like cz though i should say I, I do think uniswap um now that i think about it maybe it's that it's a governance token but your there is this path where like the people like the uniswap governance holders could eventually vote for like a a buy and burn type mechanism and like you want to have and and that's like the feedback loop where the like the value of holding the governance token comes in right right because right. kind of like, why would you hold a money off because of you just are right. so passionate about <laughs> right right like and um and I I, I want to reiterate the point you said because like when I, when I originally described governance tokens I made it sound like it was just to like make technical changes and your point might actually be even more relevant is like holding the governance token lets you vote on like what they can do with their treasury too which is really important because like the Uniswap treasury the Uniswap DAO treasury is like billions of dollars right um, right so it's like it's like pretty serious fund. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I, I don't know that much about it, but the, the buy and burn thing, I mean, it, it cause at, at this point it, it is kind of like, um, skirting around regulations successfully, I guess. But I mean, they, I guess they could change the law at any time or like crack down on this because it's, cause it's not, it's just making your, it's almost like a, it's like a stock buyback right isn't that kind of what it would be similar to right yeah they they decrease the supply of the of the equity yeah because like like when you get when you get um when you get dividends that's that's like completely different than a stock buyback so it's you know like you're not you're not getting dividends as a um as a like a yeah so i don't know it's interesting I don't know. I don't obviously don't know exactly what you guys are talking about, but I think a funny kind of thing. Me neither. When people, <laughs> when people criticize um, 
sort of like the lack of value accrual in tokens, right? Like where's, where are my cash flows? Like how am I supposed to value this? If you're trying to tell me there's a productive asset and there's no cash flows, I can't run my DCFs, right? But like look at Facebook, right? Facebook is a tier one, an absolute blue chip within the tech world. I don't know, many, many hundreds of billions of dollars of market cap. And they've made very public that they have no intention of issuing a dividend for a very, very, very long time. And stock buybacks, they don't ever issue guidance on that, right? They're not like, we plan to buy back this amount of stock in this quarter for the next six quarters at this amount. You can't integrate that into your models, right? So this is like a growth company with no obvious value accrual to its equity being one of the most valuable equities in the world. So like, there's a funny sort of um, you know hypocrisy there, I think, going on. And a lot of companies. Yeah, like it's I mean, that's obviously one. a good comparison to uni. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, but it is odd, right? Like if we look at it just like at a, at a first principle, like what is what is that equity? What is that worth? It's worth as much as someone else is willing to buy it from it. Right. That's such. A, that's such a. I, I actually didn't know that about Facebook. Um, and that's kind of like like that's kind of like flips like Warren Buffett's whole thing on his head. You know, like that's why he's always like, oh, oh I don't get Bitcoin because like what you're just gonna sell it to somebody else, and it's like, well, I mean. Yeah. I mean, like that's not what everyone's going to do, right? Some people, whatever, just a store of value. But um, that's what's happening with Facebook. So that's such a, that's such a good point. It's like because what 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 what's going to happen is like, okay, let's say everyone's like a rational, like you know, discounted cash flow, uh, whatever investor, and what Facebook's just not going to be a valuable stock, even though everybody fucking uses it. It's like it's clearly has to be valued. It has to be it has some have some type of value. And that's what happens is just like the market decides like, yeah, it's fucking valuable, even though we don't know when we're going to make money from it. But like, we know it's big. We know, you know, we know it should be valuable. And it just the market kind of figures out what that value is. That's really that's a that's a really interesting example. I mean, it's, it's like if you that's that how first... I've always felt about uni, like and I've told this to you guys a bunch of times, but I'm like. I'm like, how many, I don't hold uni, but I'm like, how many people who hold uni are participating in the governance? And then even recently we saw like, even if you do participate in the governance, does it even fucking matter? Because the, the uni whales are like deciding what happens essentially, like a few big holders, but it still is, it still is a top 10 token. And it's, it's almost a similar thing where it's just like, well, this is, you know, one of the like OG DeFi dApps and one of the most used DeFi protocols and people clearly see like, oh, it's it's very fucking useful. So it, the token has to be valuable, but people just don't really know why. But it is. It's it's a it's a it's a scary little dynamic to dive dive to dive deep. Into. It is, dude. I mean, if you think about like what makes something valuable, it's other people wanting it, right? And so any model evaluation is going to try to make some claim on at the in the base people value something, but there's it's a very like recursive and subjective thing what people value, right? Like, so it's hard to just like grind that down into like, this is why people value things because they're getting cash flows from it. Um, so it is very, I don't know, it's very, it's, the more you get into it, it's like hard to say that's the reason. I guess you could turn around and say, well, maybe someday someone will buy Facebook, you know, because some other company will want to own the Facebook entity and direct its, where it goes and what it but does, no one, but no one could afford that. Like it's beyond <laughs> that. It's it's a it's a mature <laughs> company. Like it's a but that, that's like the funny thing, right? Like it's 
like the the old model, the 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 Buffett Benjamin Graham model was okay. Like I'm gonna buy good value from companies that issue dividends. And like typically, when you got to be a mature company that hold a whole bunch of cash, at that point would be when like you start like distributing value back, right? And now like Facebook is at that point where they have a whole bunch of cash or like Apple or whatever, and they're not distributing any value back. So you, so like you're definitely right. Like okay, someone buys all of Facebook boom right like there's the incremental buyer we all get paid but now it's a mature company so no one can afford it and so then it's kind of just like <laughs> yeah damn yeah i wonder if this somehow ties into like everything's like so liquid like because things are more liquid you're less worried about getting stuck with the asset that can't pay you a cash flow right so if you can only pay if you can only sell buy and sell like once a year you know, and you're like, cause you're kind of banking, like I'm going to buy this thing and everyone else wants it to be able to keep selling it at this price. So like a world with more and more liquidity, like you can do more and more like, Oh, people will just keep buying this. I don't care why they buy it. I just know that's the selling point. And when there's less liquidity, you have to be like, Oh, well I'm buying this because then I'm going to get more money back. Right. Instead of just like, I'm buying this right now because someone else is going to buy it at a, a slightly <laughs> higher a price soon. That's a that's a great fucking point. That's a great fucking point. I think that makes a lot of sense. Maybe. <laughs> um, I mean, which, which, which right? If you extend that, right? That if you believe that an increase in liquidity, all else equal, lessens the necessity for actual cash flows, for actual productive value, then like some of these on-chain tokens, right? Which are like the most liquidity we have ever seen of any assets. Like there's that premium built in, right? That liquidity premium built in. So there can be even less value accrual if we if we take this trade off as like accurate or representative of human behavior. It's an interesting thing to apply to the to the world of crypto. I mean you, you could you, you can get rid of your assets like this, right? Non-custodially, trustlessly, I don't need Schwab, I don't need Wells Fargo, just boom, gone. Someone you know, someone in Malaysia who I've never seen, who I don't have to trust, will take that asset off. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, you don't second. need a brokerage. Yeah. Because no. I was thinking that they're less liquid, but I guess they're like in terms of just being able to sell it, it's more liquid, but like sell it at a certain price. Like it could be less less liquid, right? Than like than like definitely. Facebook stock. Definitely. Like if you're selling like sushi or uni, like yeah. Yeah. But no, but, but I think in AMM you get dumb slippage, et cetera. Right, right. And then because then I was like, oh, but like these whales do like OTC deals. But then that's kind of like this similar thing as doing a bro like going through a brokerage. Well, actually, no, it's not, though, because I think people do OTC deals like from a fucking discord chat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't fucking know. I'm not a whale, but yeah. I'll let you guys know. I'll let you guys know once I'm a whale, I'll let you know what we're doing. Um, but, I think there's. Yeah. yeah. Keep going. Sorry. No, I was, I was just going to say that's uh, that's that's. uh. I, I, I agree with you, Teach. Like that's the you the ability to to sell it to like anyone at any time. And it's censorship resistant. Um I mean that that's also like an, another really important thing before you go, Crisp, is um like if you have a situation where there's a certain market setup and there's um there's a crisis that occurs attached to a certain asset and it's four oh five PM. You cannot get out of that asset until the next morning. Mm -hmm. Like that is archaic. 
Oh yeah, right? even just the time. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That is absolutely hours. archaic. Like, yeah. You can find some sort of OTC contraption, but then you need to get your assets off of the brokerage, which realistically requires some sort of entitled relationship. But if you want to get rid of your crypto in the middle of the night, you can do that. I think that's like another thing that's sort of like under, or maybe not, maybe not, but it's important. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two drivers of liquidity, right? So there's one technological progress. Like we went from people literally yelling in like a pit for <laughs> orders. Like that's why the hours were set. It was on human time. Um, then the analog exchanges went digital, but they, you know, they kept a lot of the customs. But then things started moving super fast. Crypto is just an extension of that. It's always on because you don't need humans in the loop. And then, so that's the technological piece. And then you have this backdrop of the Fed basically providing endless liquidity, right? So the technology is always on and the money keeps coming, right? So in a traditional boom and bust like economic cycle, at some point people lever up too much and, uh, you know, the, the debt doesn't work out. The debt they take on goes to zero and the money supply shrinks, right? And the Fed has been, and, and that would reduce liquidity because like prices would depreciate and people wouldn't have the money to like keep being the marginal buyer. But Fed, the Fed is basically committed to pro just provide endless liquidity or they, they will provide endless credit. And because there's endless credit, there's like endless liquidity. And like I say, stuff like this on, it, it sounds like almost like a like low, like or left, left of the curve, like, uh, small brain thing, but like it's, I'm oversimplifying how the money supply works or whatever. But if you think about it, isn't that what's happening? Like there's just endless liquidity because there's, there's like this faucet of money and it just like keeps coming out. And anytime the markets get nervous, they're like, Nope, there's still more credit, you know, like, yeah. Um, I mean, if, if you look, if you look to, to, to corroborate that, right? Like there's no counterfactual, right? We can't look at what would happen if, if the fed weren't the, you know, the marginal buyer, the marginal pumper of, of literally trillions of dollars of liquidity into the equity and bond markets. We, we can't, we, we don't know that. We don't have that Monte Carlo. But if you, if you look at the, uh, if you juxtapose increase in equity prices against the expansion of the Fed's balance sheet, they track directly. Yeah, like if, like if you do, the S and P five hundred, like against the Fed balance sheet, it's like right. a stable coin, isn't it? It's, it's perfect. Which, which suggests, <laughs> yeah. like, suggests there's been no level of incremental productivity under there, right? Yeah. It's like each additional dollar of liquidity begets an additional dollar of market cap for public equities. And it's 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 it's. it's, it's I wonder it's, if I it's, can. It's a hor it's a horrifying prospect, and it does get viewed by like the Paul Krugmans of the world as like bullshit conspiratorial horse cockery, but. And this is extremely, extremely bullish, non-public equity, public fixed income assets. I'm, I mean, even like COVID hit, you have the airlines that they're gonna, they should default on their debt. And there should, the liquidity for those stocks should go down really fast. And the government steps in and like provides them subsidies. And that's, I guess, coming off the fiscal balance sheet, but that's, essentially monetized by the fed so you can trace it back there and they're like no we're going to keep giving you credit so you can keep taking this debt so you can keep doing your business they're like providing endless liquidity like i'm there's a lot of steps in between there that i don't understand that no one person understands but 
as a mental model, like we'll see. I mean, in a month from now, when or like three months from now, or a year from now, if inflation is like ten percent, maybe the you know the Fed will pull back and just be like, "See, we told you we would be responsible when when the inflation comes." But until then, it's like you kind of got to call their bluff. And the investors that have done the best for a while, just basically, right? Probably just been. There's been long financial assets. If you're long financial yep. assets, you've just been chilling. Chilling and yeah, killing man. it. I if I can pull up a chart of the Fed balance sheet um, on TradingView. No, dude, they definitely took it down. They've wiped it from the web. And this this is, we've talked about this, Tease. This, this might be like copium, but like why won't crypto stop? It's because like it's kind of like a, it's, it's it gets its energy from the current financial system like just staying alive right like the it is a parasite of the keystone species which is the fed you know like the fed is going to need to keep adding liquidity to keep the american economy going as long as that going that kind of flows into bitcoin and and all these like blue chip (laughs) stocks which then funds all these new DeFi projects and it just like keeps going uh, or at least that's what I tell myself when to go to sleep at night. <laughs> when I'm like, I'm, when I'm, like I'm, I'm spending all my time working on this stuff. I hope funding doesn't drop. <laughs> but skin in the game, I actually do believe that. So here it is. So if anyone's listening after the fact, this is just what we were talking about: S and P five hundred. Versus the balance sheet. So here's where it went up and then it's kind of tracked along. Wait, what it, yeah, what is that what is that massive drawdown? I don't think I was privy to this. Yeah, that's what I was I was just wondering that too, because I saw it like this and I was like, Oh, it makes sense. And then it <laughs> um I don't know. Wait, 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 so this is this is the S P five hundred in blue and then the Fed balance sheet in black. Yeah, I don't how could it go down? That wouldn't make any sense. Uh, I, I I don't Maybe they're being responsible, guys. Maybe we're wrong. <laughs> they're doing a buy and burn, dude. <laughs> <laughs> did the Fed just did the Fed just like sell just like six trillion dollars of bonds into the system without any of us realizing? <laughs> Are they doing this on the low? Did you know what this is? Quandle? No. What the fuck is that? It sounds like a combination of quant and candle. Quandle. Quandell uh, Jones. Well, I don't know how reliable this chart is, but uh, it confirms our bias. So let's run with it. Yeah, that's should we that's should we should we cruise on to like the last two token types? Yeah, yeah. No. Feel free to feel free to like I, just meander. Uh, I just think it would be good to close it close it out that uh you know that model that tax taxonomy model. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's just interesting to note like we haven't even talked about Bitcoin, which is like the one the most well known cryptocurrency and that's what we're about to get into but it's like it's it's easy to see why people are like confused when they get into crypto you know what i mean right um, yeah so hopefully videos also, like this are helpful i also, also think the bring up bitcoin is, is interesting too right because we, we've been we've been sort of we've received this vestige this this uh this definitional vestige in cryptocurrency right where like a lot of these things like they are fairly far from a currency but actually, it was a sort of like Bitcoin and the initial white paper uh, that that described it as P2P cash, right? Like cash is a currency. That's where we received this term. 
Um, and it's interesting because we're about to start about start to talk about um, transactional tokens. Um, and Bitcoin was put forth as a transactional token, and it doesn't really behave that way and doesn't look like it will behave that way. There are some exceptions, but a transactional token is effectively um, a digital token that is meant to uh, transfer value between counterparties, right? This is something that acts as a money. This is a cryptocurrency, if you will. And so an example um, would be something like Monero um, or Zcash. Um, Zcash is sort of a, an encrypted um, value transfer network. So you can transfer value quickly from one party to another uh, and do that without sort of your identity being tagged to it and without being it being all that trackable. Um, so that's the purpose. Transactional tokens are effectively the monies of the crypto world. Anything you guys want to? Yeah, like, and I think it's on? worth noting Zcash and Monero, like TJ said, they're kind of people put them under the umbrella of like privacy coins when they're like they're um, they're 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 transactional currencies that are that keep your identity like completely um, hidden. Can't think of the right word for it. But it, people think that that's what Bitcoin is when really right. it's not. Like I remember I remember asking Chris about Bitcoin like two years ago and being like, oh yeah, because it's all. Um, you can't like it's all untraceable, right? And he was like, "No, it's actually all extremely traceable." <laughs> right. um, and people always think, "Oh yeah, Bitcoin," because Bitcoin was in the early days tied to uh, what's it called, the Silk Road, right? Like people were right. doing transactions there. Um, whereas now, with like all the now with kind of like the growing popularity of cryptocurrency, it's it's becoming easier to like see. Okay, where did people get their fiat onto? Where did they buy this Bitcoin? And you can trace it back because it's a public ledger. Um, whereas, like, I don't know the technology behind Monero or Zcash, but it's it's like you you it basically like I know Monero, right? It like it creates like a fake wallet. Well, we don't, we don't have to get into that, but um, yeah. Sorry, I'm just rambling. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny when people are like, "Well, it's all private, right?" And you're like, "Nah." It's not. It's all public. It ain't. It ain't it's yeah. actually could, it couldn't be any more transparent if you tried. The the thing is, so if you get if you can create public public addresses like ad infinitum, right? Essentially, and so if you can get Bitcoin to an address without anyone knowing how you got there, you're anonymous. But if you go to Coinbase, Coinbase KYCs you, and then you and then you have a Bitcoin address, and then you go buy drugs on there, like they're gonna Coinbase could just give the government that they KYC'd you, like this is your address, and from there they can trace you like a simple path. So. And it's kind of like where you start, um, uh, where other chains, like they make it so that the step between transactions, like you can't tie who paid who to what. Um, I don't know how it works. Never. Because yeah. I, I do everything by the book, so I have no need. <laughs> Bro, let me see those tax returns. <laughs> um, let me NFT those tax returns. You know, it's interesting. I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, obviously, we're all Bitcoin bulls, you know? Um, but I think I think I speak for all of us when I say like Bitcoin. It's not the most exciting thing about crypto. Maybe it was initially. I know it was to me. Is what got me into it. Um, but like these other kind of these crypto assets and like these decentralized protocols for finance and art and gaming or like property rights, all this shit, NFTs. Um, that's what's much more exciting. And it's kind of it's just interesting how it kind of all came out of. Bitcoin. It's um, 
and it's just completely like gone this other direction. Yeah, to me, Bitcoin's like the kernel. It's like mm -hmm. it just, especially, and there's been derivatives of Bitcoin. Like, uh, I'm listening to the story about the block size wars, where they like forked Bitcoin so that blocks could be bigger, so they could do more transactions, and like. Part of that was like they didn't want to change the protocol rules. It's like very like over time it's become very like ossified, and that's why people criticize it. But that's also a good thing. It's like it is what it is, and there's a low chance of it changing in a lot of like really drastic ways. With like it's a vision of like being a very hard capped money, and so then like when you're in the crypto space, there's all there's like all this experimentation. You don't know what's going to work, but you can kind of come back to this idea of like. Bitcoin and there's just 21 million um, is very secure. And so a lot of people that become like crypto native, it becomes like the reserve asset because it's like correlated with all of crypto, but it's also the least likely to fail in crypto, right? It's like you got the least, yeah. even though it's super volatile relative to the rest. Of financial like if you're going to hold one thing, I think we would all, if you could only hold one like crypto asset, like we'd choose Bitcoin, right? Or I don't know if you guys disagree with me, but I, I know I would. If I could only decide on one, like yeah. for the next hundred years, I mean, what's the most likely? What's the most Lindy? Yeah. Um, but, but you know what? Just on a kind of a side note, you know what frustrates me is like when people try to act like like Bitcoin maxis like shit on ETH, and then ETH maxis some of them at least will like shit on Bitcoin, and they're like, "Oh, ETH is like ultrasound money," and it's like, I don't know. It just it, they're completely different things. Like they don't have like it doesn't it doesn't have to be oh one is better like you know it's I don't know yeah they're completely totally. different things and they do they do their they do their own function like better than the other and that's okay I, I think a, I think we should um, flesh out the differences between Bitcoin and Ethereum really quickly um, so I think one of the one of the things. Uh, that might be highlighted is in a lot of ways something like Ethereum as a blockchain is more interesting because of this idea of, of composability. Um, composability is when um, a developer or a team of developers um, can basically build upon a certain amount of progress that some other protocol uh, has afforded them. And so like we talked about these platform tokens, these developers will build out applications that build on top of Ethereum and they use Ethereum's uh, security to go build something that's uh, more esoteric. It tackles a, a, a narrower use. Bitcoin has none of that. Um, I mean, it has this one thing called Lightning, um, which makes the network quicker, allows it to process more transactions. Um, but Bitcoin, in a lot of ways, is, is it's not complex enough. Um, I don't believe it. It's a call. It doesn't have the opcodes, right, Chris? Yeah, it's not Turing complete. It's not turn complete, right? So you can't you can't compose the Bitcoin base layer and build things on top of it that users um, can interact with. So, so Bitcoin currently acts as it transfers value from one wallet to another, albeit slowly. That's what it does, and that's all it does. And it's really good at that. And for something that has its core purpose to transfer value from one party to another, um. It's gonna. It wants to continue doing that ad infinitum. There's not a lot of possibility for change to the policy and the rules that govern that. Whereas Ethereum, there's a lot more stuff that is uh, in the fray. There's a lot more chance of change. There are a whole bunch of updates to this set of rules. 
But the idea is Ethereum is interesting in a lot of ways because individuals and teams can build things on top of it, more specific things. They can compose that base, base layer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bitcoin's store value and value transfer and uh, Ethereum is like, it's a smart contract platform. You can write arbitrary applications using smart contracts. Smart contracts are like, you know, small programs that store information and you can update the information, like, which is bit, all of the financial system is like a giant smart contract. So, um, and video games are smart contracts, just like not on a blockchain, right? Um, and so the interesting thing about Bitcoin is like, we are talking about what makes something value well, if you want to store value and you want a value, like you want a reliable way to store value, like what's important to you, Austri Austrian School of Economics is like you want salability t across time, space, and scale. And you can, and then Bitcoin Maxis will basically argue that the 21 million hard cap, the history of working, like it hasn't broken yet, the most secure, like for being just a store of value, that's the best thing. Um, that's all you want. You wanted to build a completely decentralized financial system, like you might be able to try to hack it into Bitcoin, which a lot of people are doing, but like right now it's not having any successes going on Ethereum um, and Solana and other, you know, other chains that support better, there's a better way of build writing smart contracts. Uh, so it's just way different. I think one thing about Bitcoin is that people hear cryptocurrency and they're like, well, you can't, like Bitcoin, you can't send it super fast and I can't pay for it, like coffee with it. So it's clearly a failed currency, um, which is again, where like the naming thing, like sends you down one line of thought and it, it actually doesn't, it's not somewhat it's trying to be. So it's really trying to be like a store of value. Um, and uh, especially at this point with the small block size, uh, it's trying to be, and like the way currencies work, historically, it's like a pyramid type structure where you'll have like gold at the top that moves around very slowly, doesn't change hands a lot. And then you have other entities that issue fiat currency or their own currency on top of that gold. And so um, the way the US dollar works or used to work is there was like these vaults of gold and the gold wouldn't change hands that often, but then the bank would give you these currencies that you people could swap with one another really fast. And so what Bitcoin is trying to do is it's trying to replace gold with this decentralized uh, version of it on the internet. And then you build systems around it that do the really fast transactions. And so when you like are just like, well, Bitcoin failed because it doesn't do transactions fast enough. It's like, well, that assumes that it was trying to do that. But if you did some research, it's like not trying to do that at all. Um, so it's like, you gotta be careful when you like use the name of something to infer all its characteristics. And honestly, a lot of software engineers are bad when they over index to the name of something. Like someone will write the name in the code and then the rest of the code around it will change. And then if you just infer the functionality based on the name, you'll just get, you'll make a mistake. So you actually have to read how everything works together, right? Like names are just shortcuts to understanding how something works, so. And yeah. rant on cryptocurrency. And that's why I like I like how TJ put it in this article, like you call it a, a transactional token slash money. Um, and if and if listeners wanted to go back to our what is money podcast, that was at least eye-opening to me because it's like, okay, money 
most people today think of like, if you're an American, right? You're like, what's money? Oh, it's a dollar. And what, what can you do with a dollar? And then they expect any form of like money to be able to do the same thing. Otherwise it's a bad form of money. Um, when in reality, I, I don't know, I guess it kind of depends on your perspective, but it can mean different things. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Last we'll social, last token type. Um, well, at least for the you have, purpose. You have security token. I guess we went over that. Um, yeah, I think we had the social token, and then we have non fungible token as well. Oh yeah, we're gonna finish with NFTs. So, um, social tokens. Um, I'm actually releasing a social token article this week. Um, but the idea of a social token is um, it is the native currency of a digital social community. Be right back. So some examples of these digital social communities um, are like friends with benefits, uh, whale, scene, uh, pleaser DAO. Um, these are groups of like remote individuals uh, that have converged because of common beliefs, values, passions, whatever it may be. Um, and they're, yeah, they're like a digital tribe, they're like a digital guild. And the social token is kind of the native currency um, you know, that secures secures that network. Um, and they're very nascent. Um, we'll kind of see what happens, which ones help uh, actually accrue value. Um, well, that's kind of the idea. So what would make someone want to hold a social token? So um, I think I have a different take than other folks, so I'm reluctant to give the uh, less common take. Uh, yeah, both. But, but I think what the, the more common take is what these tokens allow you is decision-making power uh, to guide the trajectory of these digital communities. So the digital communities have various activities that they undertake, projects they put treasury money towards, and if you're a holder, you can dictate what that community is doing, what it's spending money on, who it's giving grants to, yada, 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 which is pretty cool, right? Like 2,000 individuals in the ether not geographically related, didn't go to the same school, didn't work together. Uh, they're all voting on how the treasury of this digital tribe uh, is allocated. So there's the governance. Uh, but to me, uh, I see these tokens more of um, sort of a status symbol, like a badge of uh, participation and involvement, um, sort of like a part of your digital identity. Um, there's a project called CryptoPunks. CryptoPunks are this digital NFT collectible project. Uh, and they're now the floor of these digital assets is now like $60,000 or whatever. And I see the CryptoPunk as like the digital identity of the crypto elite. It, it, it signals that you have status. You're a part of a certain digital tribe online, a digital tribe that people want to be a part of. So I see these social tokens as similar. They're badges of status. They're badges of allegiance to a certain group of people that have a certain, certain, um, certain collective values. Interesting. So one's kind of like a governance token in the or one case is like a governance token in but for a community. Um, so then I guess you get all the potential benefits of a governance token, like with the community in a way. Um, and the other one's kind of this like yeah, social status um, right. type thing. Uh, What's, 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 what, what I think is cool is like the, these communities are so, so, so young. Um, and 
like the, the, the upside. It's gonna be so interesting to see like in what ways people combine to bring value to the communities, but also build value out in the world, right? Like some of these digital communities have big treasuries. Like you're talking about millions of dollars sitting in the treasury that are governed by like a distributed set of nodes around the world that happen to hold this, uh, this community token. Uh, so like I, I think you'll see all kinds of interesting um, permutations. Um, like you, I can think you, you can think about the frontier for these things as like digital guilds. Like these groups of individuals will start to provide like really high quality goods and services to their members. They'll start to look after their members and provide the services that the public sector or other private companies and LLCs did, right? And at that point, that these things get super, super interesting because now your token is being used to allocate the treasury towards real world projects that create value. I mean, it's just, there's a lot that could happen. We'll, we'll, we'll see if it devolves into like very balkanized governance, but someone's gonna do it right. And it's gonna be very interesting. And it's gonna be very, very, very powerful digital tribes out there with a lot of resources at their disposal. All right, you're, uh, you're bullish over an individual guilds. Yes. Remote. Of course. It is interesting. I mean, it makes sense. Like people are nomadic and they need a way to bond. Um, this could potentially be one way. Um, and then maybe if you're a part of the community, you kind of get essentially better access to various things. Um, that seems a ways off, but, or maybe not. It's pretty interesting though. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a ways off. And this short term okay. is just for people to, it's an easy way for some people to flex their social cloud. Yeah, it's, it's cloud goblins. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's a social token. Um, and I'm, I'm involved in a few of these. Um, and so we'll see. We'll see how, how it plays out, how effective they are, or if it's just sort of, another tricky thing about these social tokens is uh, it's always easy and fun and like constructive when the treasury is small. And then as soon as it, there's like real money at stake, that's when like people start to like defect, you know? So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, does, do one of you guys want to just do NFTs real quick? Cause I think it's worthwhile. Like how, how is it different from all of these, uh, these sort of fungible tokens, these fungible instantiations of, of value? I feel like you, you you should give it the rip. I feel like I've like been talking nonstop for like seven minutes, but I'm but I'm happy to. <laughs> I think I think Hake's handling some business off camera right now. <laughs> yeah. He's like he actually might be putting in some OTC deals for CryptoPunks right now. <laughs> Dude, I think he's simult he's simultaneously on our pod putting in some OTC deals for NFTs and in interviewing a DAO founder. <laughs> Yo, did you just did you just put in a buy <laughs> for CryptoPunk after the social after? Uh, <laughs> yeah, after, yeah after I was on the phone with my broker. <laughs> Pump it. <laughs> you're you're talking to the whale foundry, dude. I heard these guys talking yesterday about like <laughs> about how I guess every cycle people say like. Oh, like the institutions are stepping in, so we won't have a fifty percent drawdown. And it was just cracking me up because obviously this is like the first cycle I've been around for. So I've been so I've been kind of naive, but they were saying like literally every year they've been saying that, like, oh, there's no way we're gonna have a forty percent drawdown again. Like institutions are gonna step in and buy right here. And then it's like <laughs> like literally you have Michael Saylor buying like what a 
what a half a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin and it like doesn't even matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I think the thing is, I mean, if you if you back up, it's like Bitcoin's at thirty thousand, ETH's at two thousand. Like they're absurdly big right now. Um, yeah. So they hit they hit this lower bound. Hopefully, it's lower bound. That is very high. The reason why there's going to be a volatility for absurdly long time, probably for until unless they like take over the world is because the system is is like more free market. So that there's ridiculous amount of leverage, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever the fair value of the system is, people will be able to lever up an absurd amount to boost the price way higher. So it's like, even though it's worth trillions of dollars, there's trillions of dollars of debt that can be, can pump it even higher. Yeah. right? So it does, it's not even about the institutions coming in, right? And removing the volatility is the fact that there is a crazy amount of access to leverage, right? Um, and so, like, I don't know if, like, the next bull cycle... I mean, like, Sailor's levered up, too. He just can't get liquidated, but he's <laughs> yeah. fucking levered up. <laughs> so I guess, like, I don't think we're... Unless... Basically, Bitcoin like replaces gold. Like even then, maybe like there's just so much leverage, it'll just always be moving around. <laughs> but like, don't people leverage trade gold, or do they not? I would have to imagine they, that. Like, they, they, de they, they definitely, they definitely. You can you can leverage trade like gold derivatives. Like you can leverage trade like minor ETFs or uh, or gold futures. Um, but you can't access like a hundred x leverage on gold futures. You can't, or or that's that's a bad way of putting it. You can't access like a hundred x leverage on like gold miners ETF. You know, like it's just that's not a product that exists, and for whatever reason, because of like, I I think it's because like assets can so easily be liquidated on chain, like you can enable insane leverage without there being like systemic risk risk to the system. Because mm -hmm. if that moves, if you have, I mean, if you're at a hundred x and you have a <laughs> a tiny move you get liquidated right and it's not like all right like we need to now go to the broker and have them trigger liquidation of your assets or have you post margin it's like no just get liquidated boom right and then the position is made whole but but i do yeah. I, I do think I, I don't i don't think the amount either the volume leverage or the degree of leverage which is accessible in crypto means that bitcoin will be volatile forever i think what will naturally happen uh, is like as as ownership becomes more widespread and also institutions are in, like it'll all be deadened. Like it won't be an interesting, there's a feedback loop. Like it won't be interesting to trade vol on it forever. There will be less vol as it becomes bigger. And as the vol contracts, there'll be less people levering up. They'll just go, they'll just go out on the risk curve. Cause like, if you're a trader, you, you, you simply need, you need vol. And so these things, it, it will, if it works, if it works and it grows bigger, I think the bigger something get, it, it's it's almost a it's invariable that the vol will fall off a cliff. Yeah. yeah, I mean the market cap needs to get big enough so that there's so much liquidity, I guess, that the the leverage traders essentially aren't able to move the price. Like there, there's so much liquidity because the market. That's what I was gonna say. So if big. it's like just spot driven, like because if you think about how a lot of this shit works, it's not always like like I was gonna say with the hundred x leverage, like the exchanges don't let you trade with size on 100x leverage. You, you can only trade with like literally like 50 bucks, I think, on 100x leverage. Now, I guess you could argue like, is there 10,000 people trading with 50 bucks on 100x leverage? Like maybe that could make a difference. But I think there's leverage in the system in the sense of like, 
just, oh, I'm going to borrow against my ETH and buy some low cap shit coins because we're going up only, you know, and that would only be like 2x leverage. But like if everyone's on 2x leverage and like buying more Bitcoin or buying more ETH or buying altcoins, then that can be like once you have a 30% move, that can be like the cascading liquidations. Definitely. Definitely. And, you, and, you, and you'll, you'll continue to see that. I, I don't think I don't think the volatility like exits the system anytime soon. Um, yeah. like, but, like, I think like a good way, maybe a good comp is like it, as Bitcoin matures, it will take on a volatility profile more similar to that of gold. So like gold, gold over like a 10 year horizon moves around all over the fucking place. But like how many times you see gold, you know, drop 10 percent in 48 hours is rare. Yeah. Yeah, gold. I mean, yeah, it looks like gold is like somewhat volatile. Yeah, um, it is not as volatile as BTC, but yeah, but yeah, I think I think you will get to a point where it's just like more people are just have spot Bitcoin. You know, they just like own some Bitcoin or they own these like you know emerging crypto assets and they just own it and they're like invested in it. But it, I it definitely seems just from my bias perspective it just it definitely seems like it's like heavy like speculation and people who are trying to like you know 100x their net worth you know <laughs> so it's like um it's just yeah that that adds to the volatility and then also it being like this kind of um new just this new asset class um but like if you look back on bitcoin i mean everyone loves to say everyone loves to say this but like no other asset is given returns as good as bitcoin or or ethereum and so it's like okay if you want these insane returns like it has to come with volatility like it can't it can't just literally go like up only 200 percent a year i mean that's like markets just don't work that way right it's fun it's kind of funny when people are like this time is different both the bulls and the bears are like this time is different the bulls are like this time is different we're never going down and this and then the bears are like this time is different. It's going to zero, <laughs> <laughs> dude. Yeah, and realistically, true. it's just like it's just the same shit. It'll it have way two years. <laughs> it'll be a hundred k. Like that's so that's so true, <laughs> dude. Have, um, I wanted to bring this up earlier. I forget what it was about, but um, do you guys know the guy who has like the stock to flow model? Like, what do you think that guy's gonna do if like stock to flow is just like completely invalidated? <laughs> like that's like his whole persona is like the stock to flow guy. Start a know? new pseudonym. <laughs> like is everyone just gonna sign you? Like, oh, you were fucking wrong, bro. Like <laughs> we're out of here. And then I also see, bro. Like on another note, with the fucking on chain shit. Like honestly, some of the on chain analysis pisses me off because how fucking long were they saying? Oh, Bitcoin's flowing off exchanges right before we fucking dumped. Like. <laughs> Don't you guys remember that? Like literally the two months before we fucking dumped and we were like right around like 50, 60K sideways, like teetering at the top. Everybody's like, oh, Bitcoin's going off exchanges. We're about to fucking pump to the moon and we're going to 300K. And then like, oh, wait a second. It only takes 10 minutes to fucking send it on the exchange. Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, I, does that fucking I, matter? <laughs> I think that speaks to like another like important point about crypto, which is like, okay, sure. If you're measuring the stock of an asset and you're comparing that to how quickly that asset either flows out of the system or back into the system, like there's some credence there, right? Like a stock to flow model is just like a systems thinking, but in isolation, it's pretty, 
inert. In isolation, it doesn't describe an extremely complex system that moves very quickly with a bunch of different variables. Like it doesn't, we, we just talked about the, the deep importance and the novelty of the amount of leverage in the system. Like the stock to flow doesn't really account for leverage, right? Mm -hmm. At least based on, based on my understanding yeah. of that model. And so if you, have, if you have stock to flow and you have, um, you know, some model for the amount of leverage that's in the system and you think about, I don't know, some amount of value that's being leached from the old system to BTC as a store of value from institutions and then like, like 10 more models and maybe you can begin to approach modeling how this new, huge, weird asset interacts. But crypto is, crypto is very, very, very complex and it moves quickly. And so I think any of these like reductive models in isolation are not gonna do much for you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I'm making fun of it, but it's like literally I draw lines on charts. So it's like the least fucking reputable <laughs> thing you can even do. Hey, but so does everyone else, right? So does everyone else. So you're I just Fibonacci. I take a Fibonacci retracement and it's like, why does it work? I don't know, but it just does. So fucking don't ask too many questions. <laughs> Dude, the, the um, chart, ch charting charting is 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 valid too. I mean, I, I, I happen to think it's kind of horseshit, but like it is just like the, it's illustration of psychology, right? Like, and yeah, if other people are doing yeah. it, then... You know, I think, I think to your point, I think it's like, I think it's foolish to like go all in on like any one type of analysis, like of, of, uh, what the price is going to do. Um, like none of them are perfect, obviously. And even all of them combined aren't perfect because if they were like, there'd be some trading bot just like printing unlimited money, but like, obviously it's not the case. Yeah. I think, uh, also call it on like the Twitter thing, like all these people saying, uh, you know, it's it, well, it, all of it's flowing off exchange and like it's gone. It's about to break out even more. This is going to be crazy. There's like the there's like an anecdote about how and it was in full by randomness. Like someone can basically put out like a newsletter, a thousand new newsletters. One will say it's only going up from here. It's only going down from here. You know, next next year, half of them were right. You have 500 left. Right. And you do the same thing. And if you do that enough times, you you'll you're just guaranteed to have one newsletter that predicted every up and down correctly. <laughs> and on Twitter, anyone can make a pseudonym, right? All these Bitcoin people are pseudonyms. Like you can like start creating pseudonyms. Like it's only going up from here. It's only going down from here. <laughs> like maybe I should make a GPT three bot that's just like like bull and bear GPT three, and you just keep putting these out and eventually like some of them will call all the ups and downs correctly it's free to make a twitter account and so there's this element of like just because someone's calling something right they like you know they could literally have thousands of students well even people you know? do that like they don't even have to make new accounts like they just make some bold call and then like if it's right they pin the tweet and if it's wrong like no one fucking cares you know <laughs> or they delete it or they delete it or they, yeah, or they delete it or they delete it the one guy who like couldn't let it live it down. I don't know if you guys saw this, but like this guy was like telling Sam Bankman Free that like Solana was a scam and he's like, Oh bro, like you pumped like 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 you pumped it and exited on us or whatever. And SBF was like trying to like bet with him like what the price would be or whatever. And then Sam Bankman Freed was just like, Sell me all the soul you want at three dollars and fuck off. And then like yeah, obviously it's, it's even now it's still up like fucking ten X from there. And the guy, like, people still remind the guy of it. And he's like, dude, like, everyone has a wrong trade. <laughs> people just don't let him live it down. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's the thing. Like, if, if he, 
I feel like people are not going to let you live it down if you go at it with just like yeah. a, a very air, a very arrogant air. Like the amount of arrogance you go at a call or a prediction with is directly proportional to the amount of flame you'll get if it's wrong. So if yeah. you go about it, if you go about it like acknowledging your uncertainty and your doubt, but making a prediction based on your models, like no one's going to jam you up. But if you're super dogmatic about something and it's public on Twitter, then you're fucked. And and like you're going against SBF, you know. So it's like you well, yeah. better have reason. <laughs> like you better have some help. reason, you know. Uh, and like if I remember correctly, this guy he was kind of like complaining about it. Basically, he was basically like, "Oh, like you thought you said this was going to be a good project, and it's not going to the moon." It was, it was like it was like that was kind of his tone, you know. And it's like, dude, like you fucking bought it. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> not financial advice but <laughs> nfa yeah dude spf did say nfa so you know the liability is on NFA. you bro <laughs> yeah NFA. nfa i'm not a cfa Le leverage podcast is all nfa yeah F fyi nfa it's funny like these youtubers will make this video buy xrp now and then it's like nfa <laughs> Like you're literally giving financial advice, you know. Like I just like imagine SEC's like SEC's like yep, NFA. Hey, you're dude. good. You're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check him yeah, off yeah, the exactly. list. Check him off the list. Oh, did he say not financial advice? Oh, okay. He's totally good, bro. Because <laughs> it's like, like I think I have that in our some of our YouTube descriptions. I'm pretty sure I put it in there. But like we don't go. Oh, if you don't buy Bitcoin, you're a fucking idiot. Like it's going to a million. Like we don't. Like we would never say that. I mean, in private, I say that. But like. <laughs> like I, I wouldn't say that on the podcast. Like all of you need to buy Bitcoin right now. Buy the dip. You know, it's like that, dude. That's like ridiculous to for me to even think that people would listen to me. You know, but these fucking YouTubers, man, and that's what gets the clicks. They're like, oh, this is how many XRP you need to be a millionaire, and it's like, God, <laughs> how much are they paying you, bro? You know, how many oh, XRP no. do you need to be a millionaire? Levered 100x short. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That should do, right? That should do, right? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, we, we said we were going to go into NFTs. I feel like we've, we've done a pod on NFTs. True that. True that. Yeah. True that. Should we close think, it out? Yeah, we can close it out. I think we should out. close it out before Hate keeps ranting about yeah, the, dude, uh, just, <laughs> the, I don't even the investment like, shells. I, my ADD <laughs> is so bad was, this fucking morning. I'm just like, what am I talking about? <laughs> I don't even right. know what I'm in, talking about. In conclusion, to attempt to <laughs> conclude, to attempt to conclude the gamut of nonsense we've just shilled you, um, crypto is not just Bitcoin. Um, it can describe a whole lot of interesting things um, that are happening. Um, it's a set of sort of these digital rules that we've outsourced to code and smart contracts. Um, that help humans cooperate um, in these broad networks. The broad networks are used for a lot of things. And the tokens are sort of like work tokens. They're used to pay the network. They're used as sort of gas to the to the to the network's engine. Others are used for other things like transferring value from one person to another. Uh, others are used to give decision making power to certain individuals, so you can govern the direction of the protocol. Um, and what that protocol uh, might be allocating funds to. Uh, there's a whole range of activities. 
Um, and to simplify it by saying cryptocurrency is even a bit misguided because the vast majority of what's going on in these networks has little to do with currency. You guys got anything else you want to draw on? That's well said. NFA. Yeah, NFA. <laughs> All right, lads.